I know a lot of people are concerned about data breaches, but the question is, what makes a data breach the worst breach of all time? How about losing our social security numbers, the key to our identities? How about losing 145 million of them? Breach is a podcast that takes you inside the world's biggest hacks, how they're done, who does them, and what's really at stake when your private data is compromised. And this season, they're investigating the worst breach ever, Equifax. So check out uh, season two of The Breach, the Equifax story. This time, it's personal. Subscribe to Breach, that's B-R-E-A-C-H, in your podcast app right now. John, who else is uh, sponsoring our fine show this week? Uh, the Oregon State University eCampus. Earn your computer science post back degree online from Oregon State University eCampus with flexible academic plans to help you balance your studies with work and life. A post back allows you to use your existing bachelor's degree in any field and take only computer science courses to earn a bachelor's degree, a second bachelor's degree online. The best part, you don't need any previous computer science training to enroll. Learn more and take the next steps at ecampus.oregonstate.edu slash rebound. I'm going to read that one again so that you get it. ecampus.oregonstate.edu slash rebound. Well, technology, am I right? <laughs> That was about technology. <laughs> I mean, it's all about technology, ostensibly. <laughs> Fortunately, we have James here to talk about technology, because James has things to talk about. I, I'm not saying that I hope that Lex's new job wouldn't let him do podcasts anymore, <laughs> but I'm not saying that I didn't. But I'm back. <laughs> and we're happy to have you. Yeah, it's been a well, while. It's been a while. Yeah. Sorry, Lex isn't here. I <laughs> had to do doing, it. <laughs> we're still doing Lex's jokes, even though he's not here. Son of a well, I, I, you know, I, I missed you. I can say that genuinely. Aw, well, we missed you too. It's, it's <laughs> nice to have somebody with actual knowledge on the show. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, this is, this is famously a podcast where I've been told not to do any preparation for it. <laughs> Don't and tell yet, them everything. <laughs> I still always do a little bit of preparation. But <laughs> Don't give I, away our secret sauce. <laughs> but I've spent the last hour doing really good preparation. I've been listening to a book, an audio book. Which I think came out today. Is James doing his own ads? Is this, now? Yeah, is he segued into doing ads now? I, I like this. Keep going. So it, it's this uh, sort of science fiction spy book. Ooh, tell, tell, me might like tell, it. tell me more. Tell me more. Um, it's called the B- Bayern Agenda. Get the pronunciation right. It's by this up and coming. I got reeled in by that. <laughs> <laughs> It's this up-and-coming writer, Dan Moran. He's really good. Uh, No, genuinely, I I listened to the first two chapters just before this, uh, and it has a really good uh, opening. Do you want to do your joke? Um, No, you're not doing Uh, it. Do you want me to do my joke about my Cold War opening? Yes. Is that what? Yeah, Um, yeah. The Cold Open. The Cold War Open. But it's good. I I mean, I say this like I'm surprised, but it it is actually good. (laughs) Thank God, uh, because I have been on tenterhooks over here trying to figure out who does the who does the uh, who does the audiobook. Uh, This one is a new narrator. Uh, His name is Victor. He's the professional narrator, so I'm going to screw up his name. But his name is Victor Bevine. Vine? That's not your. That's not what you're. Not how much. you're involved in this yeah, whole thing? Yeah, I don't talk. Uh, yeah, he's done a bunch of other audiobooks, including um, he's done some of the Michael Lewis uh, ones. So, like uh, the new Michael Lewis one that came out last year, The Fifth Risk, which is all about our our fine administration. Um, <laughs> oh boy! 
and uh and the uh, that's michael lewis the guy who wrote uh, Moneyball and the big short oh, and yeah, stuff. yeah 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 uh, and right. he did a bunch of the ra salvatore uh books uh who wrote like uh the D tie-in the driz dirt and like super popular uh D tie-in book so yeah so he seems seems like a real pro uh, i'm glad to have him cool. have him doing my book yeah, too. yeah. No, I mean, the audiobook I, might be for me because i can't read so. <laughs> Well, I got the audiobook because I pre-ordered the damn book like in September. And then I get, I've had this sequence of emails from Amazon in the UK saying, ah, you're not going to get the book until next month. Oh, well, maybe you'll get it in a week. Oh, and they just keep changing their minds. So I was like, right, fine. I'll I'll just buy the audiobook as well. And my plan works. Yes. Um, (laughs) Ironically, if I bought the book today, I would get it tomorrow. So who knows? (laughs) That is the, as the Amazon promise. Yeah. <laughs> Buy it today, um, get it tomorrow, unless you well, order it, it three months ago, in which case don't ever get it. It says expedited delivery on, oh. on the order. And I don't know where they're expediting it from, but... Um, <laughs> they could expedite it more. I think that's the answer. Well, I'm glad space. we got a chance to talk, about, it from space. to talk about the very important, the very important fiction on this podcast. Well, I, I, mean, I, I wanted to actually listen to it before I came on so I could speak authoritatively rather than just plug it. Um, and yeah, no, I, I, I like, I can sort of visualize the opening sequence, you know, before the titles come up in the movie version. Um, you know, John will probably wait for the movie if we're honest. Yeah, I fine. probably will. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. I'll just throw that out right now. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, what's going on in the technology world this week? You, you, uh, you stepped in the, on the, uh, foldable glass. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Didn't you? I, uh, I don't remember if it was on this show or one of the other shows where I was talking about that, where we were talking about foldable phones and I was like, yeah, well, I mean, it's not like they're going to invent foldable glass. And it's like Corning is like, yeah, we're working on foldable glass. Like, <laughs> Guys are jerks, man. They're like, they're like, Hey Dan. Yeah. <laughs> Great idea, yeah. man. Here's here's how much you know. Way to blow our secrets. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean... <laughs> trade secrets. You know, no shock at all that Corning is doing that. That's like, you know, glass is what they do. Uh, and if anybody can build foldable glass, I would assume it is them. But, like, I think it's also just... I mean, I, I'm fascinated because it's challenging. Like, there are a couple places... I've been in, like, older houses where the windows are curved... Because, like, that's the shape of the house, and they built, like, the curved wooden frame. And I always wondered, like, that must be hard to make. Um, I mean, I can understand, like, curved glass, but it's the the bending it back and forward that I don't understand. This sounds like, you know, sort of transparent aluminum kind of (laughs) uh, levels of science. Maybe that's what they're doing. Um, Made on a Mac. Ties in. Yeah, that's right. It all comes back around. (laughs) To Star Trek Four. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> speaking of bending things i saw somebody there's this report going around that the um apple may have quietly addressed i'm not going to call it this like ridiculous gate term but i guess there were some uh machines where you would get the like footlight effect along the bottom of the screen right where it's got like the uh kind of looks like the footlights at a theater um because it, and then eventually the display would uh, in some cases fail uh, possibly because the cable that was connecting the display to the computer, like after repeated speaking of bending, after repeated like bending stuff, would just die essentially. And it sounds like Apple has not publicly acknowledged it, but the new uh, like iFixit, I guess, was putting out that like the newer cables seem to be longer 
in some of the new models, which is possible to like decrease that. So that's like it's always interesting when Apple makes changes but doesn't talk about those changes. <laughs> like yeah, right, wh- what things right. does it realize are a problem and takes like you know, it takes steps to correct them, but it's not things that it's like we're not going to admit this was a problem. Like <laughs> we're just gonna yeah, kinda no- quietly fix it. Not like keyboards or anything. Right. Well, like that's my that. point. Like, were they? What? It's like you know, somebody's going to buy a new computer at some point and be like, "Well, this keyboard is entirely different. <laughs> different letters, <laughs> different order." <laughs> yeah, I mean the the whole you know maybe the 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 cable is longer for an entirely different reason. Mm-hmm. Nobody's actually sort of said, "Well, this is exactly why it was happening." But yeah, we'll see. Do you think they would ever change? Like the keyboard thing interests me still because it is clearly something that people on the internet are upset about and i can never figure out how much that translates to yeah. actual people right. being upset about it but it seems like the people on the internet like is a high percentage like there are a lot of people who have run into some sort of problem on the keyboard it seems that way yeah sure i mean does. it's like yeah. when you follow a bunch of people on twitter and like you know sort of media people or or whatever and then you see them start to complain about their keyboards you think well, well marco you mean no <laughs> well i mean <laughs> No, he he's very specifically not in the podcast business or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I think it, I I haven't. I'm still sticking with my 2015 MacBook Pro for now because I still have that keyboard fear. Um, yeah, and I still have not really had a problem with mine. Um, I have the 2016, and it's basically been fine. I eat lunch over this thing. Um, <laughs> so maybe the, that's like the, the right, the right shift key is a little squishy. Maybe like I, but I hardly ever use that key and it doesn't <laughs> maybe, bother me. Maybe the key so, is what you're eating over it. You know, it's lubricating I think maybe the keys I, 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 in some It's way. possible that I do eat over that key more often than the other key. That's a feature. That's a feature. No, I, it's interesting. Even on my, I have a magic keyboard here and I was noticing the other day that something had gotten under the keys and it would like it shifts around a little bit too because i think just the way the keyboard is designed and so i would like you know hit the left command key or something and you get that sort of unstable like oh there's like a little piece of grit or something under that uh and i was like looking i spent a little time trying to figure out like can i pry the keyboard you know the key caps off and get that out and i was like maybe <laughs> but there's also a better than even chance that i break something in doing that so i will just like keep occasionally turning it upside down and shaking it until something falls out well, what's your current state of your mac mini uh it's great i'm glad that you asked uh it is sitting so basically right now it is running off the what was the super duper clone it's i just booted off that so it's like kind of functioning um but I am waiting on a... I bought a new uh, SSD cable for it, an SATA cable, uh, because I am theorizing... A, that was the cheaper fix, uh, if that's what's wrong, because the issue is that right now it's like... There are some errors happening. I I, I called in the big guns, which was I I emailed uh, my friend Dave Nanian, who writes Super Duper. Mm. Uh, and I was going back and forth with him and he was very graciously helping me troubleshoot stuff, even though he was on vacation. Oh, Dave is the a, worst. Dave is a saint. <laughs> Dave is a saint. So, you know, we, we could not come to a good conclusion other than it sounded like some sort of intermittent drive problem. And whether that's the cable or the drive in particular, really hard to say. So I figured, well, I'll start with the easier thing and buy a cable for my fix it. 
which still cost me 20 bucks. Um, <laughs> and I will try swapping that in, though it means taking apart most of the computer again and see if that makes a difference. And then if that doesn't make a difference, I will return the, the Samsung drive I have and then just buy a two terabyte drive and replace both the drives with a two terabyte SSD, which is fairly affordable. It's under like 300 bucks to replace, to get a two terabyte SSD. So it's not, I mean, it's not bad for prolonging the life of that, assuming that it's not like a logic board problem or something, but the computer runs boot off, booted off that external drive. So I have to assume that if it were a logic board issue, unless it's like very specifically in the storage controller or something, uh, that it would have exhibited some other weird symptoms. Hmm. So it's, yeah. I, and while I was at it, I bought a new battery for my uh, 11 inch MacBook Air because it's been freaking out. And I, like James, I don't want to get rid of my, uh, my nice keyboard and I love my 11 inch Air. So I'm going to take a shot at replacing the battery in there. Uh, so that should be a fun uh, <laughs> couple days. I know I'm going to do that too because I'm yeah. traveling next week. <laughs> I tried to do that on one, yeah, because I've got an 11 inch air from 2012 or 2011. I can't remember, but um, I one of the things was stripped. Uh, one of the screws was somehow uh, like like already stripped for some reason. Pre stripped for your for your convenience. Yeah, it came shipped pre stripped. So I, I mean, you know, like not that the. Not the threaded part in, on, on the screw, but, you know, the top part. Um, and I couldn't get it off. So I just keep it plugged in all the time. And that's doing my um, Plex. <laughs> I've got an 11 inch here doing my Plex server. Wow. <laughs> I think I've probably talked about it before that the Bluetooth on my, my MacBook Pro is. Uh, well, I think it's the Bluetooth that's dodgy, and it's been into Apple, and they replaced the whole Bluetooth and Wi-Fi module and a bunch mm. of other stuff, and it's still doing it. So I think it, it, Mac Bluetooth has always been a little... I have problems on both of my other computers with it. But what happens every now and again is pretty much every three to four days when I wake it from sleep, it's kernel panicked. Because, <laughs> and somewhere deep in the Bluetooth stack, all the Bluetooth is is got a line through it saying not available. Mm. And it's like, mm, this doesn't sound good. But I, I'm still sticking with it, even though, you know, it will spontaneously reboot on me every now and again. But it's a good, good remember. Uh, a good uh thing to save you know your yeah. work yeah no that's that's good that's good that's what we all we all miss those days where we had to constantly command s everything right that's that's yeah. those were the good old days <laughs> um i've been noticing that apple seems to be picking up some small companies this year i, I feel like they got a couple turning um, them over shaking them until money falls out is that well <laughs> or technology fall out. <laughs> I think they got a couple, like they got a couple Siri related, like, you know, uh, AI related oh, yeah, companies there was a recent already, one, right? Yeah, and then they got a, they bought some camera security, home security camera AI company. And it feels, it feels to, I mean, I haven't done the math, but it feels like they're they've done more of that in the beginning of 2019 than previous years. I don't Just, know. It, it, it's they pretty reliably acquire a certain number of companies every year. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's probably just cheaper and easier for them than doing job interviews they just like <laughs> buy companies and get a whole how, bunch of how engineers reliable is that <laughs> well 
Oh, I don't know. I mean, but yeah, I mean, this one, there was people speculating, oh, this means that the next HomePod is going to have oh, yeah, a, ca- yeah. a camera right, right. in it and is going to do all this. And I'm like, mm, I'm not sure about that. And, you know, even for Apple, I'm not 100% sure I would like a video camera based no. device yeah. in my house. Yeah, there's one called Pull String, which is a voice app thing. Um, yeah. And then there was, yeah, what was the one that was, uh, there was something people were talking online about, like a HomePod with a screen. Uh, but I can't remember what the name of the, the company, the company uh, was. Lighthouse. Lighthouse. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So well, they bought the, uh, so they bought the patents. They bought the patents of Lighthouse. Oh, you see, that's even easier than buying an employee. Because it, it went out of business last year. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. So they just bought up an old patent portfolio, essentially. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Which yeah. in that, so in that case, it does make you think that maybe they're, I mean, clearly they're doing something with just the technology. It's, it was not a, well, Apple I mean, hire. even something like, so, you know, it's one of the patents is like computer vision based security system using a depth camera. You could argue that they would, you know, maybe they built a, maybe there's an iMac with face ID coming, which means a depth mm. camera, which means turning your iMac into a security camera if you want. I mean, there was, there's been software to let you turn your Mac into a security camera for many years. Um, I don't know how many people used it, but I remember testing that's, some back in Macworld. That's how ha- Apple's going to get into the home, home security yeah. business. It's like, just buy another iMac. <laughs> some of this stuff might just be defensive anyway. You know, we, we'd like to have a patent just to yeah, know, right. make sure other people can't do things. Or Right. I mean, one yeah. of them is method and system for visual authentication, right? Which sure sounds like making sure nobody yeah. buys up a patent that they can then sue them over FaceTime, right? Yeah, <laughs> or exactly. Face ID. Sorry, not FaceTime. But to James's point, I mean, like, I I don't have any of the Alexa stuff in the house, and I certainly wouldn't have the Facebook thing in my house, but I, I would consider more home tech stuff if it came from somebody who I really trusted. Yeah, but you still don't have a HomePod either, and you could you could go get one right now. Yeah, but that's because, that's because, that's because they cost $300. It's just too expensive for what it is, which, you know, may be a problem with anything that Apple ships in that market. I mean, they're not known for making budget-level tech. True. So, yeah, I don't know. I I I like my HomePods, but I heard someone wax rhapsodic about them the other day and I'm like, they're not that good. <laughs> like, <laughs> I I am they they are nice speakers. Uh I appreciate some of the stuff they do, but I still have the the trigger word off because I found I got way too many false positives. I mean, I get those with the Echo too, but I get fewer of them and the Echo is much better. I've noticed in the past several months, the Echo is much better at realizing when it has caught a false positive. So, like, I'll be on the show sometimes, you know, recording a podcast, and I will say something that clearly makes it triggered, and I can sort of see it light up out of the corner of my eye. But I'll just keep talking, like, and not acknowledge it, and eventually, after, like, a couple seconds, it'll be like, oh, he's clearly talking to somebody else, and it will just not say anything. It will just, like, cancel out. And I was like, that's way better than it used to be, but the HomePod is constantly, like... The second it thinks it hears you, it's like, oh, sorry, did you say something? Can I help you? Can I help you? Can I do something? Can I do something? You want, you want this? Here, yeah. here's the weather. So, so how much of your podcasts are stored on some Amazon server somewhere? Uh, it's that's just little 30-second clips. That's just a backup. <laughs> yeah. I haven't done a local recording, but Alexa caught it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's like a belt and suspenders there. Um, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> that is not something that bothers me that much. It, it, I understand the concerns and like the again, everybody's got their own thresholds for those sorts of things. Um, but yeah, for me, it's not a uh, it's not something that that bothers me in that yeah. in that aspect. Yeah. That's yeah. I had the PlayStation has a sort of 
old tech voice recognition system where you can kind of control the interface. And I've had that sort of on and it's using, there's the PlayStation VR camera it uses for the microphone, I think. And that would just trigger like every other word it thought it, somebody was saying PlayStation because yeah. clearly it didn't have the tech. <laughs> and, and so what would happen is you'd be watching some TV show and somebody on the TV show would say something and the PlayStation would uh, perk up and it ducks the audio down. And it's like, okay, I'm switching you off. And I, yeah, it's the camera for the PlayStation VR is pointed at the living room seat. And I don't particularly uh like that either but it's a necessity for the current vr system i like that your playstation is about as smart as a dog <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, it's treats it's, are there treats <laughs> and it's not a smart dog um, <laughs> they're, they're not smart dogs <laughs> uh listen we're gonna get back to this in just a second but uh we have a little guest who wants to tell us about how we <laughs> yes we can look our best. Lex, do you want to uh, tell us a little bit about our good friends at Indochino? John, Dan, could you shut up for a second? I would like to remind you and our dear, dear listeners that every man looks better and feels more confident when he puts on a suit, especially if it's Indochino. Indochino is the world's most exciting made-to-measure menswear company with suits and shirts that fit your exact measurements for unparalleled comfort. Just visit a stylist at Indochino showroom to have your measurements taken, or you can do it yourself. Measure yourself at home and shop online at Indochino.com. You get to choose your fabric, colors, any design customizations like the lapel, lining, pockets, buttons, and monogram. I own an Indochino suit. They gave it to me for free. I'm not going to lie. They gave me one, and I loved it so freaking much that then I bought one for myself, too. And they are excellent suits. They fit me like a freaking suit glove. That's a thing. Look it up. And I love them. I look fantastic in them. I get deals done. I win accolades. <laughs> I get praise. People are like, man, that is a handsome, besuited fellow. That's what they say. This week, our listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $359 at Indochino.com. As long as you enter the code REBOUND at checkout. That's 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit. Plus, shipping is free. Again, go to Indochino.com and enter promo code REBOUND to get any premium suit for just $359 and free shipping. This is an incredible deal for a premium made-to-measure suit. One Seco Custom. You don't go back. Indochino.com. Promo code REBOUND. I think we can all agree that we, we would like to look our best. That was the best ad read I've heard today. Yeah, I, I, the man is a professional. What can I say? Hey, that hurts, James. <laughs> <laughs> there was a high severity... Oh, yes. The uh, zero, zero day. Um, yeah, the file system bug. Oh, it was something this. about... Uh, yeah. You could do things and modify the file system behind the kernel's back or something. I I read it and my brain melted slowly with oh, most yes. of these zero-day things. It's like, I can't tell. I can read the abstract for it, and I can't tell if this is something we should all be immediately switching all our computers <laughs> off yeah. or if it's not a big deal, and I don't know. Well, let me... Um, but it- yeah, I don't know either, but I'll, it brings I'll, up a thing about Apple not paying for yes, paying a bounty for these things on the Mac, whereas they are paying for a bounty. I, I was going to mention that because they iOS. they finally the guy who had the keychain exploit finally handed it over without mm-hmm. getting, as far as we know, reimbursed. Um, and I, you know, I wrote a thing a couple weeks ago about uh, reforms to the bug bounty program that Apple should consider. And in fact, I got an email from a per a reader who said that he his family had uncovered another FaceTime bug and he wanted to like figure out how to pass that along. 
uh, and details were not shared with me, so I cannot verify whether or not that is a thing that actually happened. But I basically gave him, you know, Apple's security page and be like, here's if you want to contact them, here's here's what I recommend you do. And I do think that I'm curious, James, about your opinion, too, about the Mac bug bounty thing, just because. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't given that Apple seems to be doing quite a lot of work to make the Mac more secure. You know, we've got the T2 chips and all these kind of things it would seem to make sense for them to also bring across the bug bounty. I mean, maybe uh, maybe Marzipan, you know, when we have all these iOS things coming to the Mac, will also bring the bug bounty along with it. Um, I don't know. It, it the Clearly, I think Macs, because people can download software from the internet, random things, and, the, you know, it's not all constrained like the App Store, it seems like there's an even bigger vector for nasty stuff getting into your machine. Is, is that, stuff. Is that yeah. their concern then? They're like, oh, there's too many bugs on the Mac. We'll have to pay too much money. <laughs> That's not a good strategy. <laughs> I, I, I don't think they would probably look at it like that. But, yeah, I mean, if you've... If there are these serious things, I mean, I don't know, like my my sort of baseline for these things is, does the bug have a logo and a cool name? <laughs> if so, it's probably a big deal. But yeah, have a bug bounty and just do the stuff properly. Because, I mean, what is it you can get for, you know, a good zero day on I, on an iPhone or something? It's like in the millions or something. Oh, yeah, Maybe not from a, Apple. To a third party, but, yes. Yeah, there's yeah, a ton of places. Um you know, if you're trying to sell this to some nation state or or whatever, there's got to be some money in in a Mac Zero day like that. So yeah, um, they should do that. Yeah, I, especially because you know the the alternatives are so much worse, right? The idea that somebody will go sell that to some third party for whatever reason um, is just you know then you have an unknown <laughs> an unknown security vulnerability floating around out there. And that seems like a really bad situation for everybody to be in. And, you know, I mean, a lot of people, myself included, like to point out that yeah, Apple's got so much money, like they should basically be able to pay for these things. And I, I don't want to say that they should like sh- shovel over necessarily all their money, but they do have the capital to afford these kinds of things. Uh, and it seems like you would want to incentivize like you can count on a little bit the idea that some people are going to want to do the right thing about this. But it doesn't hurt to incentivize them by at least being competitive in terms of right. offering money. Because these people are, yeah. I, you know, people, I, I got into an argument with somebody who was like, oh, this guy who wants money, you know, for the Mac bug, is, this is just extortion. I'm like, I mean, yes, I can see that perspective, but I also see this perspective. That <laughs> it this, is how that industry works, though. <laughs> yeah, well, that guy, also, these people are security researchers, and they are working to find bugs, and yeah. they got to get paid by yeah. somebody, right? Like, you know, and that's just, that's the way that market works. So I, I don't know that I would go so far yeah. as to call it extortion, but like... I work a I lot do think on something. I, I do think it's paid. weird. <laughs> it is weird, weird, but 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 it is. But you know, like I said, I mean, that's that's it's standard operating procedure in that market. So what are you going to do? I mean, at that point, you might as well think about like bounty hunting. Bounty hunting is a pretty weird system, really, when you think about it. Right? <laughs> it's not. It's not great. <laughs> But, I mean, you don't want to incentivize too much on the bugs because then you'll have people inside Apple working with people outside Apple. Mm. Oh, yeah, we can put this bug in and we'll get a million <laughs> out of this. Not like the uh, – who was the guy a couple of weeks ago? They um, they fired – it was it was the guy in the Apple uh, legal department who was fired oh, yeah. for uh, inside trading. And it was the guy who was supposedly – I believe it was the guy who was in charge of making sure nobody was inside trading. <laughs> 
<laughs> right, right. And he was inside trading. <laughs> yeah, I think my theory on all these things where you, you find the cops arrested for doing these deals and whatever is that they spend day in, day out looking at this corruption, just thinking, why am I not doing this? This seems like much better than my current position. <laughs> I mean, you just described the entire plot of The Shield. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally what that show is about. <laughs> I should probably watch The Shield. Uh, all right. Well, one more piece of business to take care of before we uh, we continue the show. Support for today's show comes from Legacy Box, the world's largest, most trusted digitizer of home movie and photos. I got a Legacy Box a few months back. I filled it with some old photos uh, that I had lying around in a shoebox. Uh, and I also uh, got my mom to give me some old uh, VHS tapes and old even film reels. And I sent them off to Legacy Box and they uh, very nicely turned it around, sent it back. I uh, got all my media back and I got not only digital copies on like DVD and a thumb drive, but I also got online copies I could just watch and download uh, from the cloud. So it was a great way to get these old pieces of media that basically we didn't even have equipment for. Like, I don't have a VCR anymore. I certainly don't have like a 16 millimeter film projector or whatever. Uh, so, you know, really these things were just going to sit around and kind of molder. So it was great to get them digitized. And I got to see some old footage that I never would have seen, including like my first birthday party and stuff like that. So that was kind of a kick. So, save your family films and photos from degrading or being lost forever. All you got to do is send in your legacy box filled with old home movies and pictures. Then they'll professionally digitize your moments onto a thumb drive, digital download, or DVD, and send all your original recorded moments back along with perfectly preserved digital copies. It'll give you peace of mind and a great sense of accomplishment because now you've got all that stuff and you can very carefully file away the other things. Better yet, it will ensure your family history is preserved forever. There's never been a better time to digitally preserve your memories. Visit LegacyBox.com today to get started. Plus, for a limited time, they're offering our listeners an exclusive discount. Go to LegacyBox.com slash Rebound to get 40% off your first order. That's LegacyBox.com slash Rebound and save 40% today. Get started preserving your past. Our thanks to LegacyBox for sponsoring The Rebound. Now, one of the things I was going to mention, um, I don't know if you've been following Steve Troughton Smith's uh, latest exploits. Um in all senses of the word. I, I see you finally made a Mac version of Peacock, finally, quote-unquote. Yes, I did. <laughs> um, so he, he's had this uh, Marzipanify tool for a while, um, but he wrote it up recently in some blog posts and uh, with some additional details. But what it does is you... So when I'm developing uh, an iOS app, uh, typically I'll do most of my development in the iOS simulator, which is sort of running... Running your app compiled for Intel on a Mac, but linked against a whole bunch of stuff called the iOS simulator, uh, which lets it run on the Mac. And that's effectively what the Marzipan stuff is currently, at least. Um, so he's got this tool, which you build this your simulator build, drop it on this tool, and then it will make uh, a Mac app from it. So I did I did this to Peacock and you know you do it and the first time you run it it crashes and then you have to figure out <laughs> well I'm using this API which doesn't quite exist on the Mac yet uh, so I need to cut that out cut that out and then after like about a day of hacking I had this yeah I had this iOS uh Mac app uh and it was an interesting you know experiment it's not something that i'm gonna like release anytime soon i mean currently it's not uh none of this stuff is public this is all just from hacking around with the marzipan apps like uh 
what is it? It's news and uh, home s- and stocks and voice and memos. Voice recorded. Yeah. Yeah, vo- yeah. So they're they're running using an early version of this technology that's going to get released. So we're told um, in the summer at WWDC for developers to actually use. But you know, he Steve likes to get ahead of. Uh, what's officially allowed and play with these things. And I thought it would be a fun thing to to try out. The, the one thing you have to do, you have to not just switch off system integrity protection for your mm-hmm. machine. You have to have a, a NVRAM flag, which switches off all code signature restrictions entirety for everything. So <laughs> any code can run. Um, and I, I wasn't comfortable doing that. And this is obviously not something I would recommend that people do because it leaves your machine entirely open to bad code. But, uh, you know, for the purposes of an afternoon to, to try this thing out, it was fun. I was just going to say I had a weird instance where went back when I was in India a couple of years ago to, to set up the software to use the like, um, I don't know, basically I, I had a, like a modem, you know, like a 3G modem that I plugged into my Mac to get online uh and to set up the software to use it it requ- <laughs> i looked around because it wouldn't install i finally discovered it was because it was older software it required you turn off system integrity <laughs> just to install yeah. it and then you could turn it back on again so i did that at one point i was like yeah that machine's probably totally compromised now <laughs> yeah don't don't do that um yeah. i mean <laughs> i mean i let i let the echo record everything i'm saying anyways <laughs> my life's an open book guys well, um, it's interesting to see what, you know, because I know Pico very well. So seeing what kind of works and what doesn't. And um, it it's not, I mean, I, we're going to get, a, a, they've been working on this for another year. And we'll see what gets released to developers. And currently you get an app and it works. And what's interesting is, you know, it can do sort of live resize. And if you resize it to be uh, taller than it is wider, then it's kind of like the iPad rotates. Um, And I got it. He came up with some more hacks that you can make the window smaller than they allow. And if you do that, then it switches into like a sort of split screen iPad mode. Mm. And you know, it kind of works and some things are a, a hassle like you know you don't want to be using pop-ups and things like that mm. but he's dug into more of like how an app can use mac menus and how it can do other stuff which i think will point to how things will go in the future uh and i could, i saw a lot of sort of traditional mac developers going oh this is the end of the world as we know it and it's gonna <laughs> you know the 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 neighborhood is ruined. All these iOS apps are going to come over. And I was like, you know, there's always going to be bad apps. Uh, and providing people uh, right use this technology for good rather than evil, I think it'll be fine. <laughs> there's the strong <laughs> argument that, like, you know, there are a lot of people who write iOS apps that are just never going to write a Mac app. And yeah, I mean, Marco, for one, was like, oh, this will be great. You know, I can make a Mac version of Overcast, and it's yeah. not going to be a huge investment in my time. How how far away do you think, I mean, like, what percentage would you say it's at right now? Like, how close are you to kind of being able to build build and deploy, like, anywhere? Um, I, I think, so th- there, was a, there was a leaked sort of timeline that came out. Um, Mark Gurman had, a, I think, a, a story Yeah, there about was a story it. a couple weeks ago. Which was saying that 
the at the, this summer we're going to get the ability to just bring ipad apps over then the next summer is going to be iphone apps and then the summer after that is going to be uh well and the Watch corresponding <laughs> os release <laughs> apple tv apps. if only no i think the 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 summer after that was going to be there was going to be a combined binary that you could have that would be mac oh, for, yeah yeah yeah, right. and presumably at that point the stores m- would merge, and you could buy one thing and sell it, and and it run it in multiple well, places. Yeah, well, and the and the parallel track there that we also are kind of the question mark is hovering over is the is the chip transition too, because at that point we could be looking at at you know Macs running on on Apple built chips, right. uh, which certainly seems like a thing that is probably going to happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, I mean, I I don't see the processor stuff as intrinsically linked to the same effort because, you know, at the moment, anyone who's building apps using the iOS simulator is building Intel versions of their their app. So there's not a huge hurdle in in that sense for the the processors will be need to be ARM before any of this happens, although I suspect it is on a similar timeline. Um, But in terms of percentage, I mean, I think... What they what they have now, you know, you can't have multiple windows, for example. So, you know, if you select the preferences dialog uh, or a preferences window, uh, at the moment in PCALC, you know, it's going to come up inside the the, the, the window, window that the application is the, the, the window, yeah. rather than open yeah. a second window. Right. I mean, that might be something that next year. I mean, I I have no idea, but you know, iOS might have multi-window support in some senses. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has it already in some ways, but. Um, for doing stuff like this uh i i mean i think i think it's probably 75 percent of the way there for the stuff i'm doing and i could see there'll be a there'll be a sort of crossover point for me where you know the the ease of coding it all because at the moment like the the ui stuff is separate on the mac and mostly separate anyway between the mac and ios versions all the lower level stuff is the same so i kind of have to duplicate a lot of effort and from my perspective if i can move more and more of the code to being shared between both then it's going to be better for the mac app because there's things like say the layout editing isn't there on the mac because i'd have to write a lot of that code again and mm-hmm. It's quite a lot of work. Uh, So for me, I I would guess it will be like a year and a bit or something will be the point where I think the app is as good as the current Mac version or something like that. Who knows? I mean, it's all going to depend on how much Apple makes available for doing other Mac-like things like handling, you know, menus and and like right-clicking and things like that. Well, that's why we've got big questions about sort of, you know, there's a lot of talk that iOS 13 will be very heavy on the iPad. And I think the iPad, you know, clearly has, there's more of a demand there for things like, you know, multiple windows or multitasking, more, more robust multi multitasking. So it makes sense that that's kind of where they're targeting first. And that's what I'm hoping that we'll see that these two things will dovetail together. And I'm not sure it's all part of some grand strategic plan. Like somebody is sitting there saying, oh, yeah, we need to get the arm bits here. We need to do this. It could just be lots of separate projects that are right. all Yeah, they're kind of running coming. in parallel. I think that's what the issue <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah. It's interesting that as, as people who have used the Mac for a long time that it, you know, I mean, the big knock against the Mac throughout the 90s was that there wasn't enough software for it. Yeah. And now it's 
pretty good. I mean, it has most of the major stuff. The things that it doesn't have are a lot of like enterprise applications that are specifically written for Windows because they're only used within corporations. And the, th- I mean, I have my kid's laptop is a Windows laptop, and having seen the store that Microsoft has, it's really barren. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. shockingly not. I mean, I've you know been surprised that they have not been able to make a better push well, in terms of just like consumer apps that the you know like a Twitter app and things like that that are just not in. It's never seemed like the indie developers have flocked to it, and I think in part that was also because they're was, all making mobile apps. Well, also at the time, even in the '90s and later on, I think a piracy was rampant on the Windows mm, yeah. platform. And so it was really hard, I, I imagine, and maybe, James, you have some more knowledge of this from, from yourself or other people, but, like, I think it was probably hard to make a good living building Windows yeah. apps in that period. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the same argument people make against Android development, is that the amount of people on iOS who will spend money is higher than other platforms. And yeah. I think also the Mac is also higher. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, go where the money is. Yeah, but now we're going to get another influx of of new apps, and we'll, we'll see if they're as good as the existing apps have been. But uh, I mean, I, the I, stuff that I could see, like you know, Netflix could bring across their thing probably pretty easily, and it would be nice to have a native uh, yeah. Netflix app. Sure. And yeah. there's stuff like that where people will put in the effort on iOS because there's you know whatever it is, five hundred million, a billion uh, people out there with devices. And the Mac is a, it's effectively, it's a much smaller market and it's going to get some stuff that's going to be lazy ports and it's going to get some stuff which is good. What I hope is that it's going to make the sort of building blocks available that, you know, people like me who write apps for both can share more code and have more time to make the Mac bit more Mac-like. Yeah, I, I feel like there's, I don't want to quite say like there's another shoe to drop, but it's the kind of thing that I feel like we are kind of hunting around the edges of and we don't see the full picture because when you think about it, right, like two, three years from now, if we're, if we're really talking about binaries you can distribute that will run on either the iOS, uh, on an iOS device or a Mac, you know, basically what we're talking about is essentially then just one, one largely one system architecture that's distinguished by form factor and user interaction like that's basically it right like you've got devices that are different in the ways that you use them with a slight with a different operating system veneer but it's fundamentally running on the same code and it's fundamentally then running the same apps and it's you know we have that to a certain extent now and i know that talking about merging the platforms is not something anybody wants to really think about but i'm wondering if there's this is one of those instances where there's like like a semantic loophole <laughs> in terms yeah. of like, yeah, we're not merging them really, but we are like eventually. The top, yeah. We, it's like the, the, the top bits are the same and the bottom bits are the same, but the bit in the middle is completely different. Right. So and we haven't merged. At some point, I think those two middle parts are probably going to get closer to each other, especially if you do, if Apple does decide, for example, that it wants to make a touchscreen laptop. Like there are things that start to make it zipper a little more together and i think that you know again something that i've brought up before but i think is is worth not undervaluing is maintaining two different code bases for your you know your products is probably a pain 
And yeah, anything I mean, Apple can do to redun- like basically reduce how much different stuff, just like you know James building different apps, like anything Apple can do to reduce how much time it's spending on two different major operating systems is probably a win for them. The the thing is, they're going to have to support AppKit based apps for even if they decided today that they were going to stop doing, uh, they're going to stop working on AppKit. Um, you know, they're going to have to support it for 10 years or something. Sure, sure. They'll mm-hmm. have a long I, plan, the same way that, like, carbon lasted forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. I, I mean, one, of the, one of the things, I think it was Steve Trotton-Smith actually was saying, was uh, my assumption has always been when ARM machines come along, there's going to be some kind of Intel emulation layer mm-hmm. um, so that your old apps will run. They won't be fast, but you'll be able to run them. And he was saying that um, specifically uh, because... Apple is dropping the 32-bit app support uh, in the next major macOS release. All apps are going to have to be 64-bit Intel apps. And apparently emulating 64-bit CPU is a lot harder than emulating a 32-bit CPU. So I still think that, you know, Apple has a lot of smart people. They can probably do this, he thinks. Also, if they're building their own chips, like to a certain extent, you get... There are some things I imagine they could do to tune them to work better for very specific tasks that they need, right? Yeah, I mean, you could you could possibly have some dedicated uh, bit of the chip to help with emulating an Intel CPU, maybe. Right. I'm just, I'm just thinking, like, when you, this is the major advantage that Apple has always brought to the table is soup to nuts, right? Like, if when you control yeah. the whole product all the way down to the silicon there's a lot more flexibility and a lot more power you can bring to bear on the tasks that you know are important for what you are doing. Yeah. I think the thought was, though, if, say, you know, you have to rebuild your app for these new ARM Macs, then wouldn't it be nice if there was this huge influx of other software, which you could kind of, like, take some of the weight until the, you know, people had actually done that? I see what you're saying. So, like, like basically, marzipan apps are like, ah, well, we already work with all this stuff, so maybe your old, old and broken Intel apps don't work anymore. But we got gotcha. you. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I don't see Apple doing that and dropping things. But you know, Apple likes to sort of take things out behind the shed and shoot it uh, every now and again. <laughs> <laughs> the real bug bounty program <laughs> well i mean it's like we, we are losing 32-bit apps which uh is going to kill every single carbon app in existence um you know they had a good run it's a real but... thanos moment for for tim cook yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I can see tim cook on the stage snapping his Snap, finger yeah. and then like a whole bunch of carbon developers in the audience just uh, don't feel so good <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know it's funny i still get i have a ton of apps that i do like every once in a while when i restart my mac and it decides at that point to remind me like oh by the oh, way yeah, this so app needs this to get not gonna work in a while <laughs> it is watching it is like watching them all get marked for death like Mm-mm. sorry i guess got needlessly dark at the end <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what i bring <laughs> Earn your computer science post-bac degree online from Oregon State University eCampus with flexible academic plans to help you balance your studies with work and life. A post-bac allows you to use your existing bachelor's degree in any field and take only computer science courses to earn a second bachelor's degree online. The best part, you don't need any previous computer science training to enroll. Learn more and take the next step at ecampus.oregonstate.edu slash rebound.
It's fine. Next week, we'll just do the follow-up that's a lot lighter and happier and as we dig ourselves out of the hole. I'm pretty sure that's how that works. <laughs> Endgame. And, yes, the, the, the rebound. rebound. Endgame. Endgame. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right, those so- carbon apps are in the soul stone. 